All right, everybody, I am Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies, and there's a great movie out right now for you to see called Just Mercy. That has Michael B. Jordan in it, and mm. it also has this guy, yes. Jamie Foxx. Yes, Academy, from Yonkers. From, you're not from Yonkers. Just <laughs> give it up. You know, you either are or you're, you're right, not. You're right, right. I'm asking you ticks. You have to face this. Yes. All right, Jamie, before I lose complete control no, of this interview, good. which would be fine. No, 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 no. But you made a great movie yeah. in Just Mercy. You did. I think this is a... True story. True story. I think this is the... I've said this before. This is the most important movie I've ever done. Uh, really? I got, I got, yes. Because of who it's about and what it's about. Brian Stevenson, a lawyer uh, who's played wonderfully by Michael B. Jordan, who his whole life, his whole journey is exonerating people that are on death row, uh, wrongly accused. And when I met Brian Stevenson, I was blown away about how much he's done and what he's done. And it's been sort of under the radar. So I applaud Michael B. Jordan for being the biggest star in the world, mm-hmm. but always coming back to movies like this for our culture, for us to, uh, to educate us, to uplift us, to give us hope. And uh, like I said, it is the most important movie I've ever done. And who do you play? I play Walter McMillan. Walter, McMill- Walter McMillan is a man in the South in, in Alabama who had his own pulping business. He, you know, chopped down trees for a living and on his way home on a country road, he gets pulled over by uh, the sheriff and the sheriff says, you killed someone in a city that he's never been in, mm-hmm. never met this person, and they say, you're going to jail. And they put him in jail, put him on death row without a trial. He was on death row without a trial for six years. And uh, I've been to death row before uh, studying uh, for a movie. And the one thing that I knew about death row is that the worst thing you can give a person is hope because they know that at some point, at any point, they could uh, be taken off to uh, either the electric chair or however they're going to be uh, uh, expired. But Hope walks in in the form of uh, Brian Stevenson, who is played wonderfully by Michael B. Jordan. He takes the case. This is in 1986, which wasn't that long ago. And uh, they pulled off the miraculous uh, and exonerated a person who had never been. This has never happened in Alabama, a person to be exonerated off of death row. And that's the story. And what was amazing about how our director, Destin, and, and Michael B. put the movie together on how it brings everybody in. You saw this in Toronto. I saw it in Toronto, where so, it just made people crazy. Oh, man, it was, and, and it got a, I don't know, eight-minute or 13-minute standing mm-hmm. ovation. But what I really appreciated about the movie was it allowed everyone in. You know, this movie tested in front of an all-black audience at a 97. Now, we expected to, mm-hmm. for that to be in a high number. Then they tested it in the Midwest in front of a mostly white audience, and we were like, well, what'd they say? It tested at a 98. So... That lets you know that the work that was done in the movie as the adaptation of a book really got it done. It really worked. Let's look at a, sure. at a clip from your performance sure. in Just Mercy. Sure. Screen Actors Guild nominated yeah. for it. Thanks. God bless. That's nice. So let's look. You rich boy from Harvey, you don't know what it is down here. When you're guilty from the moment you're born. And you can buddy up with these white folks and make them laugh and try to make them like you, whatever that is. And you say, yes, sir, no, man. But when it's your turn, they ain't got to have no fingerprints. No evidence. And the only witness they got made the whole thing up. And none of that matter when all y'all think is, is I look like a man who could kill somebody. But that's not what I think. The way 
you're not looking at him and then you do. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's devastating. Because he wants to get it out. Mm-hmm. He wants him to, to hear what it is, what's going on in his soul. And then that look, I'm sure he's done it a few times. That look is to see if what I told him really landed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people can be in those positions and it's notepad, pencil, numbers, you're just another person. Mm-hmm. I'm on my way. But when he looked up and saw Michael B. looking back at him, engaged, young, ready to take on whatever this, uh, whatever this monster is, um, you know, it was by design to do it that way. And it was another thing, too. I study, you know, film. I, there, that, that move, mm-hmm. uh, to me, was made famous, to me, uh, by Al Pacino in uh, The Godfather. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, I think it was Bart Zinni, he was talking, when he was getting ready to kill him at the, at the dinner table. Yeah. When he says, I'm going to talk Italian to Michael for a second. And as he goes to talk, Al Pacino leans up to listen, but he looks this way first. And then he engages. So as you study the, the, the art, there's certain things that you bring along with you that uh, are really effective. Well, it sure works. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. You don't just see this movie and say it. You want to talk to people about it and mm-hmm. say, you got to see this. Yeah. You got to feel it because there's, instead of just anger and just rage, there's mm-hmm. a sense of, we can do something about it, Most maybe. Definitely. You know? Most Even definitely. if we fail, we're trying to do yeah. something. It, listen, the, the, the thing about this is, and what I enjoyed about the way the movie plays out, is that when people leave this movie, they feel like they want to get involved. What can I do? What can I do to change this narrative? Mm. What can I do to pull back the mask of some of these injustices? And that's what's been so fulfilling with this film, because Brian Stevenson, who's still going out there every day uh, about his job, he needs that. He needs that people to know that these things are going on because it helps uh, in his endeavors in taking these people and trying to, you know, put their lives back together. Well, Walter, your character, Johnny yeah. D, as he's Johnny called, D. he's called yeah. a lot of things, yeah. but um, he's the kind of person that grows up in this Alabama neighborhood, and it was, it's very ironic in the movie how everybody there, even racist Alabama, yeah. is saying, this is Monroe County, this is where Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, <laughs> right. which is about uh, this racism yeah. that they don't even see. They're yeah. just sort of bouncing off her celebrity. Well, well, here's the thing. It's like, like I say all the time, there were some very interesting things that Walter said. I look like a man that could kill somebody. Mm-hmm. It's the perception that we're attacking or mm-hmm. tackling. The perception that a black man, automatically, you feel like there is some, some uh, villainous or ominous thing that he possesses. So therefore, uh, when he is accused of something, we sort of turn the other way. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't necessarily give them the benefit of the doubt. I can't tell you how many times when, when there's something going on on television and there's, there's some type of crime, every black person will tell you, man, I hope it's not a black person. You know why? Because mm-hmm. it continues the narrative. It continues uh, the perception. So that's what, we're, you know, what we were tackling. And in the movie, Walter says, you're guilty from the day you were born. Now, that was something that we actually ad-libbed in the, in the script. Really? Yeah, because that's my line. Mm-hmm. Growing up in 
uh, a southern place and, in Texas. In Texas, and being met with at an early age racism, being called mm-hmm. uh, as a young kid, it baffled me. I was eight years old. My grandfather told me, "Go get some gas." And you know, back back when the gas was like twenty five cents. <laughs> 25 cents a gallon, so I, he says, bring, 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 some, bring some gas. So I had to walk on the other side of the tracks, go get the gas. But I think the gas only came up to 18 cents, and I needed to get the 7 cents back. But I didn't want to leave the gas out, you know, so I had to walk into the place. Mm. I walk in, and the guy says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you bringing the gas? And mm-hmm. I looked at him, I said, hey, I'm 8. I'm only 8. And mm-hmm. I remember marching back to my grandfather and told him what happened. And my grandfather went over and talked to the man and told him, you know, you know that's not nice and whatever he told him, but he, 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 he squashed it. But I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around a grown man looking at a child. And saying that. And saying that. Yeah. And so that's where I got the line. I said, I don't have nothing to do with this. I was just born. How can I change this? Why are you so angry at me just because I was born? Yeah. So when you're born into the world and this label is on you just because you're born... I just thought that that was something that Walter, that we should add to the, to the layer of his character saying, I was just born. Because that's all of us. We're only just born. It actually has these uh, resonance and reverberations yeah. to slavery. Yeah. It's like saying, okay, this is what you're born into, so this is what's going to happen. And that's why I, I, uh, I toy with, I've toyed with this for a long time called residue. Residue, yeah. Slavery has residue. That's what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. The residue of slavery still exists because if you do something for 200 years, you know, if you think about a person for 200 years or you have an idea of a person for 200 years, that's in your DNA now. So that's in the, that's in the DNA of America, that slave residue that although we've come a long way, certain pockets uh, just don't let those images and the way we are looked at go. And that's the residue of slavery. But I want to go back to what you said when you were a kid, and you, you said you were going on the other side of the tracks. Yeah. Was it that literal? Oh, yeah. In Texas? That that's you, right. You're from Yonkers. I'm from Yonkers. Well, we had tracks, but... It, well, <laughs> let me explain to you. Southern cities, most southern cities have a railroad track that mm-hmm. separates the city. You've heard that, that phrase before, on the other side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Now, what that actually means is the railroad tracks runs through, splits the city. In our situation, it's the north and the south. We were on the southern side all black, mostly black, and on the other side is all white. So basically the railroad tracks is by design. On the white side of town, all your gas, electric, police, everything. On the black side of town, nothing, no resources. Mm. So therefore, if there was ever civil unrest, they wouldn't fight it out. They'd take the train, connect them, and starve you out. So that way you can't get resources or anything like that. So that's why it was designed that way. Now, the mental version of it is this, is that whenever I go on that side of the tracks, all the streets are paved. On our side, mm-hmm. dirt roads. So it's a mental thing. It's still an imagery thing. So it's that residue. Yeah, it's the yeah, residue. Yeah. And so my grandmother would always talk about the other sides of the tracks. So she wanted to equip me with things. Like she says, I want you to learn how to play the piano. I said, okay, classical piano. I said, why? Because it's going to take you on the other side of the tracks. I said, Granny, you mean for white people? She said, no. That's the metaphor. The other side Mm -hmm. of the tracks for the whole world because music connects us. And she was right. I ended up uh, studying classical piano, 
And I went to college on a classical piano scholarship where it was 81 different countries at my uh, school. Good for grandma. Yeah. That was yeah. great that she did that. But oh, I read you. that you also, that's when you started being funny when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, man. You know, I had, that was the thing. That was the jokes because she called me Spackle. Spackle? You know what Spackle is? I know what it is, but I don't know why you It connects called. the bricks, right? It does do that. Yeah, you just put it. I would connect our side and their side. Mm-hmm. I was the funny, smart kid, quarterback of the high school. Mm-hmm. But when I started out with the stand-up, when I was in third grade, I had a teacher, Miss Reeves, and I would be disrupted because I was all, my grandmother had a library at the house, so I was already finished with my work, so I didn't have anything to do but tell jokes. So she says, listen, you're going to end up getting kicked out of class. How about I give you time at the end of uh, class on Friday, give you like 10, 15 minutes to do your craft. So I thank Miss Reeves. What kind of jokes would you tell? I would tell jokes from the Johnny Carson show. Really? You know why? <laughs> no. Because... My room was where the only TV was, and my grandmother and grandfather watched Johnny Carson. Did you know that uh, earlier today, it was so hot? How hot was, was it? it? So I would take those jokes to the kids, because I knew they weren't watching Johnny Carson. You know what I'm saying? So they <laughs> I thought I was making so. these... No, nobody was. <laughs> they thought I was a genius. But Spackle was watching. Spackle was watching. <laughs> he was but watching. they thought I was a genius, and I would do impersonations. I remember doing Jimmy Carter. This is when I was in fifth grade. I was doing Jimmy, like a Jimmy Carter impersonation. <laughs> where Jimmy Carter was singing, um, You Light Up My Life. And I, heard, I can't remember who, I think it was Rich Little who, that was who did that. the joke. Can so, you still do that? I don't remember. Uh, uh, so many nights, me and my brother Billy. <laughs> you I'm know there. what I'm talking about? You I'm know there. that? Yeah. Uh, so many nights, uh, me and my brother Billy <laughs> would sit by the window waiting on someone to bring some peanuts and beer. That was a joke. <laughs> He knows, yeah, Billy Carter. And so the, your audience was, it was a yeah. big revelation. But, but, but here's the thing, I would do it, and all the kids watch, and then next thing you know, things caught on. So I would be doing my act in fifth grade, but they would have sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and teachers come in to hear me do my act. So, so that was the beauty of you my... You had that audience. But already. that was the beauty of my city, because I don't want to just label it as, oh, it's just this racist thing. Mm-hmm. There were people on both sides of the tracks that recognized that I had something. And they helped me cultivate it. Even when I got to L.A., when I got to San Diego, and I was only 18, 19, and I, was, I started going to the little potlucks at, at the comedy store. But I was too young to get in, you know, so they made me wait outside, and I'm like waiting on my time to go up. But I would do impersonations, but I would do different impersonations that you wouldn't expect. I was the only black guy doing Ronald Reagan. Uh, <laughs> no, I got to hear the Ronald Reagan. Well, 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 as a matter of fact, I go, oh, there you go again. Well, 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 and so you know. It's just the, an image that. I, well, well, yeah. uh, well. There you go again. Uh, uh, well, uh, uh. So, 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 so. Imagine being on stage, you know. And I yeah. would go. I would sneak up to L.A. and you know, it was all black audience. But just for them seeing me do, you know, those types of characters, um, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson, heavyweight boxing champion, <laughs> take the tip of the nose to push into the brink. I was like murdering and it was crazy here's how here's how god works i'm doing my i'm i'm killing la i remember robin harris is like the biggest comedian in the world and i get a chance to go up on amateur night but i'm sitting with these with, with these beautiful black girls in at the table and you know i'm trying to engage mm-hmm. in conversation because they're very nice looking <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to talk and they're like um anyway yeah so then i go on stage though and i'm killing and uh i get to my mike tyson joke 
and nobody laughs. You know why? I, I can imagine one Mike Tyson is in the yes, audience. Yes, of course he is. Mike is here. And somebody yells out, yo, Mike is in here. I was like, oh. And the whole audience was like, was <laughs> oh. And, uh, and I was like, oh. And then the, the, the black girls at the table, what you going to do, Jamie? You scared? You scared of Mike? And this one, Mike was knocking people out for breathing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, and then the dude at the table, who I still know to this day, and this is over 30 years ago, he goes, yo, Mike said do the joke. <laughs> but that better be funny. <laughs> So the crowd went from looking at him to looking at me. And I do the joke, and I get a standing ovation. And after that, Mike Tyson walks up to me and says, there he is, you silly mother. Come here. Come hang out with me. So I started hanging out with Mike Tyson, and it was just amazing. And now we're getting ready to do the Mike Tyson uh, uh, story where I will be playing Mike Tyson. You are so ready for that. Oh, man. Oh, you know. I, I can see it now. Wait. Well, you've had such an amazing career anyway, musically. You know, you're talking about the classical piano, and then you're mm-hmm. singing, then you're playing Ray Charles, yeah. which is... Hey, you know what, I, you know, just... <laughs> hey, you know. But this hey, is it. I'm, I'm going to make it do what it do. <laughs> well, I got a woman. Way over town, it's good to me. Hey, you know what? They're all inside of you, aren't all they, All of them. They're all there. And I thank Quincy Jones all the time for, for the Ray Charles, because I... When I was trying to get Ray Charles done, I met Ray Charles, but he was older, and I needed to get the young Ray Charles. So I went to Quincy Jones' house. Of course. And Quincy was like, hey, man, yeah, Ray, man. Ray was incredible, man. You know, the music. He taught me everything, Jamie. You know, you see those records on the wall? That's Michael Jackson, 54 million records, man, because Ray taught me the music, man. So anyway, so I said, well, I'm trying to get the young Ray, and he, he says, well, I got something for you, and he gave me a cassette tape. He said, maybe there's something on this cassette tape that you can find uh, that will help you. And I was like, okay, great. But now I, gotta, I had to go get a, rent a car from a rental car place because who has a cassette tape player? <laughs> who does? So I put the cassette in, and what was brilliant on the cassette tape, you'll love this. You hear, hi, this is Donna Shore from the Donna Shore Show <laughs> with two very wonderful musicians, and Mr. Kenny Rogers and Mr. Ray Charles. And you hear Ray Charles young. Hey, you know what, Donna? I'm just so happy to be here. Hey, you know, I didn't know that you knew my music. That is so grand, you know? And it was amazing. And on the tape, though, he's talking, 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 and then Donna Shaw goes, talk about the drugs, Ray. And there's a pause for five seconds. And he got uncomfortable. Hey, well, you know, um, you know I, I chat, and I use that as the DNA for Ray Charles. And when he's talking about his music, when he's talking about his women or whatever, he was very in command. But when he was met with responsibility for his actions, <laughs> I'd make him that. So it was a, um, that was a. You got to meet him, though. Got, got a chance to, to do meet all him. that with it, with playing. I said, Mr. Charles, I just want to do the best I can to play you. And he says, hey, you know what? If you could play the blues, man, you could do anything. <laughs> can you play the blues? <laughs> and we sat down on dual pianos and started playing the blues. And then all of a sudden he transitioned into Thelonious Monk, which is treacherous waters. <laughs> treacherous riders when he just will chances I'm trying to catch up and I hit a wrong note and you know his ears are sensitive hey why the hell would you do that <laughs> I, said, I don't know like, why you why you hit the wrong note I said I don't know he says take your time to hit the right notes that's what life is taking your time to hit the right notes boy there's a lesson almost definitely yeah it's kind of great but you know that's almost playing with him is almost as good as winning the Oscar for playing I mean it was you know, it was a <laughs> Winning the Oscar was probably the most joy artistically a person could have 
Because Ray Charles was celebrated. That movie was celebrated in such a way that everybody could get a, get around it. It was a it was a healthy character. It wasn't a, a tragic character. It was a redemptive character. And then the music, and I remember that those moments of couldn't believe that we got nominated. And I almost blew it because I was so happy about the nomination and I was just partying and having a good time. And I don't know if maybe I was maybe doing the wrong things by being too just, you know, lackadaisical with it. But it was important. And I get a call from from Oprah Winfrey. Sure. To let me know that this is important. Hi, Jamie Foxx. This is Oprah. Jamie Fox. <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> Jamie Fox. You have to tone it down phone. a bit. Oh. <laughs> because it is a campaign and we want to make sure that that you that that it's recognized in the right way. And so she says, I want to bring you somewhere. So we actually went back to Quincy Jones's house and <clears throat> and she takes me in the house. And in that house are all these actors and actresses that I watched growing up. Mm-hmm. Shaking my hand, saying, congratulations, we're proud of you. And uh, basically sort of saying, we're counting on you. And then she says, okay, now do you want to meet the person, you know, uh, that we're honoring here tonight? Who wants to talk to you? I said, yeah, he's right over there. And it was Sidney Poitier. Oh, boy. She takes me over to Sidney Poitier, and I'm, I'm literally like almost in tears. And this is such an amazing moment. And he whispered to me, he says... Your performance made me grow two inches. I give to you responsibility. He says, I want you to be responsible for your work from here on out. Wow. And I was like, all right, let me get myself together. Mm -hmm. And uh, we walked through that beautifully. It was honored. It was celebrated. And I looked out in that audience, thinking about my grandmother. I even said in in the speech, you know, about how she she was my first acting teacher, taught me how to you know, you know how to how to do what I do. It's an amazing it's career, me. and what you're doing in Just Mercy, I think, builds on all that. But I've got to take a question or two from the internet out there, so let's sure. do it. Karen S says, "When will you record some of your own music? You have a great voice. You do have a great yeah, voice. Thank you. Yeah. We're, we're, we're recording some music right now, Yonkers." <laughs> I knew that song I was going to be I go bunkers in Yonkers. Wow, that's your. I go bunkers in Yonkers. <laughs> no, you know what? Music is so su- subjective, but we've been working on music. I got a couple of artists that we're working with. Uh, Jay Young, my new artist. I got a new artist named Sailor Vave. So we've been working on some things. And uh, I reached out to Jeremiah, who I think is a prolific uh, writer. Ty Dolla Sign, who's an incredible uh, writer. And uh, my man Tank, who, uh, I mean... So we're all getting together. You're giving back. And yeah, you know, but we are giving back. And, and and what it is is that when you have success in music, uh, sometimes you never get a chance to reach those peaks. But the but the records that we did do from, you know, I would throw parties, mm-hmm. and uh, it was by design. I would invite musical people over because I was trying to get in the music business. I had a studio in my house, and so that's where I met Kanye. At a party at my house. Did a lot with him. Yeah, met him mm-hmm. at, in my mm-hmm. house, and he says, I, I got a song, Dad, Dad, I think you'd be good on. 
uh, it's called Slow Jazz. She says she wants some Marvin Gaye. And I sung that song, and I I didn't think, I was like, because he he showed me how to sing it, but I was like, wait a minute, I got to start. She wants some Marvin Gaye. (laughs) And he says, "Uh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I got to sing it. You know, I'm an R&B singer, you know. And he didn't like that. You know how Ye goes from that smile to that frown real quick? He's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, don't do that. Sing, sing it the right way. <laughs> and I did. I begrudgingly sang it, thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. And then I left. And I did a bad movie. I came back. <laughs> and uh, We won't even say you know, that. I mean, I'm not even getting into it. No. But yeah, I did a bad movie. I came back and it was number one in the country. So we'll get back to it. That's great. You know, we'll, t- we'll take one last one. Kyle Cases, can you think of one moment you've had on a film set where you thought it can't get any better than this? Oh yeah, a few, uh, se- several times. Uh, uh, when we, were, we, were, we we did something for Ray Charles that never got in the movie, where we recreated the Sanger Theater in '67 for our investors, and they walk in, and there I am with a 30-piece orchestra, and we we did uh, let the good time roll. Hey y'all, tell everybody Ray Charles in town. Got a dollar and a quarter, and I'm just ran a clown. So. <coughs> <laughs> that moment was great. And then the other moment was being on the set of Any Given Sunday because oh, I'm a football right. enthusiast. Yeah, and a football player. And a football player. So, so quarterback, but there's Lawrence Taylor, Dick Buckus, Warren Moon, Terrell Owens, Ricky Waters on the on the football side. And then on the acting side, Al Pacino, uh, you know, James Woods, Jimmy Woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are like, you know, Ali Frazier. And, and, and the set was just electric, and, and Oliver Stone at the helm. And to this day, that movie is almost like right now. There's a, there's an article out that the character I played, Willie Beeman, actually changed the narrative of black quarterbacks in the NFL. So, and it was just fun. We shot it in Miami. I wore a lot of. Uh, I'm not proud of this part. A lot of black see-through shirts. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. But there they are. And you can't get it off the internet. That's All right, I have, to, I have to let you go. Now, Why? we usually end in song because Let's I'm go. from Yonkers, you know? Yonkers, and you've given me a little of it Yonkers already. Yonkers going bonkers and Yonkers. <laughs> I do that over 70s. That's what bonkers I was waiting. Yonkers and <laughs> That old school of a brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you're starting a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah, more yeah, can yeah. I ask for? It's like a biographical song for me I now. I'm going to make it the theme of the show. Yeah. And interviewing you. Jamie Foxx is like having all the characters in your life man. come to life. We got you to. know, wow. We got to. I knew I was coming here, man. Please I come. Right. Well, I just can't I know you had it. Denzel here. I had to get right. <laughs> I know you had Denzel because Denzel, all right. Well, you got okay. it more than right. So Denzel's, we'll meet every right. Thursday, every okay. other Thursday. And all we'll right. Just do that. Okay, boom. Thank nice. you. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>